0: Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. Today's episode is different than most. This is a repost of a podcast that I had the opportunity to be a guest on called Budgeting Redefined by Drew Adams. Really cool episode. Drew interviewed me for his show and we chatted about budgeting techniques, maintaining a wealthy mindset, how to handle student loans, how to grow in your financial goals, and really at the end of the day, how to keep your right mind when things get a little stressful. So I was super pumped to be a guest on Drew's podcast and wanted to make sure to repost it to the Next Level Minds audience. Other than that, Drew's got a pretty cool app called Weekly, really nice budgeting app where it tracks all of your expenses and income on a weekly basis, really simple and easy to use. I would highly suggest downloading it. I'll make sure to include the weekly link in the show notes. And other than that, I wanted to personally thank each and every one of you for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds.
1: So I am here with Chris Chapman. We are in the kind of the shadows of downtown Charlotte. Uh, We met at a fintech conference here in Charlotte and we started talking about personal finance and weekly and the app and all of that. And we decided to get together to have a chat. So thanks for doing this with me. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, of course. I'm really excited to be here. And I think what's really interesting about how we even got connected is when I went to that conference Literally three days before I wrote in my uh, gratitude journal that I go with every morning I wrote, I will be on a podcast uh, in a month from now. I'll be asked to be on a podcast. There you go. And literally three days later, go to the event, run into you, and then all of a sudden, here we are a couple months later. So,
1: What's great is we have interest in fintech in common, but also we're of different generations. You're of a younger generation. You're really interested in money. I'm a, I'm a little bit older. I'm, 40, I'm 48 um, right now getting... Uh, anyway, but you are, how old are, how old are you? Uh, 24. 24. And r- you're the executive director of Capital Analytics here in Charlotte and also a podcaster yourself. You do uh, Next Level Minds, plug, go t- check that out if you uh, are interested. But um, so I'm interested, though, in your perspective on money. So one of my first questions is, um, you're just a couple years removed from college, um, what is What has been your personal journey with, with managing money up to this point?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. So obviously, I think managing money comes in a lot of different phases. Some people started at a young age. Some people started in college. Some people started after college. Every circumstance is different. And when did yours start? So for me, I really started, you know, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, um, kind of a middle class family, you know, never really had to Stress about a roof not being over my head, but you know at a young age starting around 11 12 years old I kind of realized that I started to you know, have to pay for some of my own um, Hobbies things. I like doing how young Uh, about 12 So, you know, obviously I didn't have to pay for my own groceries, but you know, if I wanted to go buy a new skateboard or surfboard or surfing camp, you know, that was really on my dollar.
1: So how do you make money when you're 11 years old?
0: So it really all started from there and, you know, 11, 12 years old and, you know, obviously you can't go get a a W-2 job or anything. So my thing was, is I was like, okay. You know, I cut my parents' grass for free just to help out around the house. I I think I'm pretty dang good at it. So, you know what? I'm gonna make these flyers. At the time it was on, uh, was Microsoft Word Art. I remember when that was really big before Adobe and all that. Uh, so I made these flyers and, you know, just knocked door to door asking if I could cut their grass. What I did was actually a little bit of market research prior and said, okay, this guy cuts it for 40. They're actually established firm. I'm going to come in $20, take the business on the low end. Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, would be knocking on doors and it got to a point where I was doing that at 12 years old, you know, 20 bucks a yard, five yards, you know, making a decent amount of money at that age uh, to start doing what I wanted. So that was kind of the initial phase of really learning what it's like to make money. Yeah. Um, did you
1: save that money or did you spend it all when you were that age?
0: Yeah. So at first I, you know, just like a typical kid would go spend it on, you know, fast food or the movies. And then I started realizing like, okay, I'm working pretty hard for this, but, you know, I, and my money's staying the same. You know, I'm working really hard, but I, this little, you know, bag that I had, to have a Ziploc bag, it, it's empty every weekend. So I'm like, why am I working this hard but not having any money? So what I actually did at the time was I wrote down on a, uh, you know, about a computer paper size thing about this big. And uh, I wrote down, you know, my income, which was probably around, you know, $200, $300 a weekend mm. uh, just from cutting the grass. And then I uh, I would write down all, like, my potential expenses. Like, okay, movies – uh, you know, going out to eat here, paying for a burger here, maybe buying, uh, you know, a new, uh, used to like some surfing brands. So, you know, maybe buying an O'Neill shirt or something. Uh-huh. And then I started to actually save, you know, I want to save $50 this week, a hundred dollars. And it kind of kept count- compounding on each other. Okay. Um, your first budget. Yeah. First budget. Uh-huh. So it really all started from there. Um, and it was, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, obviously being in the industry, once you kind of see your money grow a little bit, it, it kind of becomes addicting in a sense, you yeah. know, so fast forward from there, um, you know, you reach high school and growing up in Charleston, which for those of you that are familiar with that area, uh, it's definitely a area where there is a significant amount of wealth. But as I just touched on prior, you know, I was growing up kind of the typical middle class um, and it came to a point where a lot of my friends and colleagues were, you know, getting their first cars. Yeah. Um, you know, they were fortunate to have them given to them by their parents. Um, and at my time I was like, okay, I don't think this is going to be provided by my parents. So what can I do to get a car? Cause I don't want to be that weird kid without a car, you know? Yeah. Um, so my, my standpoint was I was 16 years old and I was like, okay, here's a big savings goal I have. I want to get five grand for my first car. Okay. Um, which at five grand, I mean, even at 24, I think it's okay. A decent amount of money. Yeah. Uh, five grand at 16 felt like six figures. <laughs> um, so really what I did, I, you know, I applied at Harris Teeter, uh, went in, obviously had an interview. They asked by one of the job and I said, I'm trying to save it for my first car, and get some experience. So, okay. So
1: how much does Harris Teeter pay?
0: Uh, yeah, good question. Let's do the math on this. Uh, Harris <laughs> Teeter paid, uh, Let's see. Oh, they started me at seven twenty-five, and then actually stayed there the whole time. I don't think I ever got a raise. All so. right. Let's assume
1: there's no taxes. Yeah. All right. That's uh six hundred
0: and eighty-nine hours to f- save five thousand dollars. Yep. And you did you did you do it? Uh. So yeah. What I did, obviously, I was in school at the time, so I couldn't work, uh, and I was part time, so you could, and under eighteen, so you couldn't work more than I believe it was twenty hours a week.
1: Yeah. So, uh, that's so
0: thirty-four weeks. Yeah. So what I did was do the um, the typical 20-hour weeks, and then I would still cut the grass on the side mm. uh, on the weekends. I wouldn't do too many hours. I'd maybe do two, three, or four max. Mm-hmm. Um, and then ultimately, after working for about six months – um i was able to save up the uh, investment that i needed to uh-huh. get my first car How would it feel Oh man it felt great uh, 1999 bright red Nissan Pathfinder
1: Did you buy it yourself or did your parents get involved there <laughs> yeah, so I my, assume they had to be involved
0: My parents got involved to in finding it on Craigslist and they actually i wasn't quite there at the 5000 i think i had about 3500 oh. um and fortunately they were like as a surprise they were like hey we've actually been saving up as well to help you oh, um which nice. was amazing so yeah. they were uh they were very involved in that process, and you know, I felt uh, it felt good, but it felt scary. Of you know, wow, this is all my money mm-hmm. going down the drain in this car. But obviously, you know, I got my goal, and that was like kind of the first time where I was like, okay, this is what money can do.
1: You know, right. And had the car turn out, just as a footnote.
0: Yeah, so the car was all right for about six to eight months, and then uh, it slowly started dwindling down and ultimately gave out. Did you end up selling it? uh, Sold it for parts for like two grand, and then just got a Ford Explorer after after that. So, (laughs) Well,
1: let's talk about the next huge decision, which would be college. Mm -hmm. So student loans are a huge deal for many people. So when you were thinking about, college and did you have to
0: get student loans to be able to go to college yeah so i spent my first year of school at um the college of Charleston, uh in obviously in Charleston, yeah. and uh i was local there in the state so i was able to get um, Just some in-state help where I actually only got to pay a couple grand, which wasn't bad at all. Oh, that's great. Um, and then after my first year at College of Charleston, I uh, transferred over to Clemson University. Okay. Uh, go Tigers for those out there that are fans. Um, and ended up... Uh, sophomore year still having an in-state scholarship just from having the appropriate GPA, mm-hmm. um, which even really wasn't that high. It was like barely a 3.0, mm-hmm. um, but you were in-state, so they were trying to help you out. Yeah. Um, so ended up having to get some student loans um, in my name. Um, ultimately, because of all the scholarships, I uh, ended up graduating Clemson uh, with about, I want to say, 13 in student loan debt, and now I'm at, at about 10.
1: So Yeah, that's a very um seems like a modest number considering some of the numbers that I've heard around.
0: Yeah, and, and and like my thing with that is I think I think for those out there that obviously are making that college decision and and have to get student loans, I think it's kind of auditing yourself and if you're looking at out-of-state schools unless they have that one program that an in-state school doesn't, I think a sacrifice sh- may have to be made in order to save you because know, out of state tuition can be forty five to sixty thousand dollars, yeah, and okay. if you're having to get that in student loans, only have a couple of scholarships, I think five ten years after you graduate, you're really going to start looking back and and maybe regretting that decision just mm. from the uh, amount of debt you would be in. So, so did you give it a lot of thought on borrowing that money, or was it kind of a no brainer? Yeah. So it was uh you know it got it got kind of scrappy where you know my parents were they were really had a huge initiative of wanting to pay for my school just because they really valued it. Um, but, you know, they couldn't really pay for it all up front just from their situation. Um, and they were like, you know, is there any way you can help out? And at the time, I was working all summer prior to college to save up as much as I could to actually have spending money, you know, mm-hmm. going out with friends, paying for textbooks, et cetera. Yeah. And at that point, it was like, OK, I can't really do it in my own money. But obviously, there's student loans out there. So it was a pretty like heavy decision, I'd say. Um, you know, it was either like, OK. Should I even finish school? Do I want to get these student loans? You obviously hear nightmares about it. But, you know, I was actually pretty ingrained in Clemson, very involved in uh, different clubs, organizations. I was like, you know what? Like, an education, I think, in my mind, is worth it, especially at a program like this. Um, so I ended up at that point doing what I had to do. So. What did you graduate with? Uh, so I was business management and yeah. then entrepreneurship. Okay. So
1: um, how, at 10 grand, it seems pretty reasonable. Now that you're a professional and you mm. have your setup, you um, in your job, does the 10 grand debt weigh on you a lot or is it pretty manageable for you?
0: No. So I'd say the first year out, uh, you know, I was making uh, entry level salary, you know, nothing really too crazy. Um, but obviously Charlotte is, can be significantly expensive. Um, you know, just rent in general, going out to eat, everything adds up. So I, I'd say like the first six months when I was just making entry level, it was a little kind of some overbearing weight at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just like any other situation, I think you really have to look at it as, hey, you know, problems come all the time. But what am I going to do today? What am I going to do this hour? What am I going to do this minute to get me out of this? So, did you try side hustles? To yeah, so back, sa-
1: <laughs> back to mowing You <laughs> no, Can't do yeah, that in and, downtown and
0: Durham. downtown uh, Durham, <laughs> downtown Charlotte, right? Uh, oh, sorry, sorry about that, Charlotte. Yeah, so I'd say side hustle wise, I uh, you know, I flipped a, a decent amount of things from college on eBay. Uh, actually, when I just first got up here, you know. Carried coffee maker, sunglasses, a couple button downs that I didn't wear anymore, which I don't know why people would wear those because I wore them for about five years, but hope, hope they're enjoying it. So, uh, you know, obviously sold some things there. Um, and I think what really helped me out, which obviously I did this at a young age of putting my budget on paper. I think a big thing that helped me out right when I got up here was I made a amazing budget on Excel. Um, I really, you know, I spent a whole weekend, uh, cause at Clemson being a business management major, I took a couple Excel classes. So basically I called my teachers and I, they're like, uh, didn't you graduate? I am like, yeah, hey, uh, would, <laughs> would you mind hopping on a call? I'm actually trying to build out a budget on Excel. Like, can you look at it? I'm really trying to save. And they're like, Oh, of course. So, uh, some of my old professors actually helped me, um, uh, make a really nice budget. Um, and I say, but because of the budget and because of actually seeing where each dollar was going it definitely took a lot of weight off my shoulders at the time
1: just the knowledge and retrospect (laughs) did you take all of your expenditures and then categorize them in the past and then say oh this is what i'm spending now i need to spend less here Mm. versus there
0: yeah so it's I think with a budget, you know, it was the first month I like to call it the trial, the trial period. So you obviously have your fixed expenses, you know, rent, um, cable or internet if you go that route. And then you have your, you know, phone bill, um, car payment if you have that, insurance. And then you have your variable expenses, which that can be a big slap in the face sometimes, especially when you first move because variable expenses for me, I have out to eat, you know, uh, groceries, utilities, cause those can be variable. Um, I actually have my girlfriend in a separate category. So I know when we go out to eat wh- what I'm spending on her, what I'm spending on myself. Um, and then just a couple other random variable expenses like miscellaneous, et cetera. And I think looking at the variable expenses, it's like, okay. in you know, July I spent $160 on beer, wine and alcohol. Do I really need to spend that? Or can I maybe scale that back to $90 and then end up saving the remainder amount. So. so
1: this is this is really interesting and dovetails well with why we built weekly. So I wanted to dive one level deeper on this. So we built weekly so that it would take your recurring expenses and your recurring income, subtracts that out, gets your discretionary mm-hmm. spending amount, and then tries to abstract the categories, lets you sort of mindfully look at what you're spending in the moment, whether it's bringing you joy and whether you're enjoying it but always keeping you mindful on spending less than one number that being said with your categorization of spending did you always do that in retrospect so after the money was spent i went and categorized it and then looked at it or did you manage the discretionary spending in the moment like here is ten dollars i'm going to spend at the restaurant let me look at my restaurant category and subtract it out and see if i have any money left in there
0: Mm, So you're asking if I had separate budgets for each category.
1: Correct. Okay. Did you do, did you, were you mindful in the moment about which category money was coming out of or did you just, how did you manage that?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. So for me, what I would do is I would backtrack it from a weekly savings goal. So let's say for those out there, let's say your saving goal per week is $200 and you're making 600, right? So that means you can only spend $400 that week. Well, you break down, just like weekly does, you can break down your rent into weekly. So let's say you have $800 a month in rent, break that down into 200 the rest of your fixed expenses. Then at the end of the day, you only have you know maybe $150 left in variable discretionary um, financials left to go out for the rest of the week, right? Right. So I would look at that, and then it would just be sacrifices at that point, meaning... If Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I had coworkers at the time that wanted to go out to lunch, next thing I know I just spent $50 in three days, that means when the weekend's coming up, I have to sacrifice maybe Friday night and Saturday afternoon lunch because I went out to lunch Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. So
1: So it sounds like you weren't looking necessarily at the category of expenses of the discretionary spending. You were just looking at, I know I only have this much left to spend. Is that correct? Is that true?
0: Yep. And for the categories for myself, I just have them. I had them and I still have them on there just to know at the end of the month, I, I kind of do a, you know, just like any company does an audit. I kind of just audit myself and I'm yeah. like, okay, I spent X amount of dollars on out to eat. Could I maybe scale this back a little bit? Maybe I could add a little bit more to groceries and not have to buy frozen this or frozen that. So yeah, I kind of like it for myself to have a nice audit.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, so you're, on your own, Mm -hmm. what are some tips and tricks that you've had, you have discovered in just spending or saving now that you're on your own?
0: Yeah. So I think with spending, saving, et cetera, I think one thing with being wealthy is I think people hear that term and they're like, oh, a wealth, wealthy equals a million dollars. In my opinion, I think wealthy equals being just financially stable, you know, yeah. if your car tire pops, being able to buy a $200 tire and not having to check your bank account while you're trying to pay for it at the cashier register. I think that is my definition of wealthy. And in saying that, I think for myself that some really tips I would say is, you know, establish in your mind that you have a desire to be wealthy. And when again, when I say wealthy, it's meaning not being, you know, it's being financially stable for just common situations, right? So mm-hmm. I think first establish that in your mind. And, you know, I actually have written it down and said, I am wealthy. I, I write that down every day just because wealthy habits, right? Continue to have that. That's cool. And I think number two, and we were just touching on this prior, is like have a budget, whether it's uh, Excel, whether it's your app weekly, which I've been messing with this whole week. I really like it. Whether it's, um you know, they're a monster now, but whether it's Mint or the other apps out there. You have to track your money, or like I did when I was twelve, you know, track tracking on a sheet of paper. Just mm-hmm. do something to get your money on paper or on some app to really just know where it's going. um and number three, I'd really say another tip I'd say is just really. I think checking in on your, on your finances, you know, checking in on just your bank accounts every now and then checking in on your stocks. If you have those, I mean, I, I asked someone the other day, they were asking me about their 401k, if they should transfer it to a Roth IRA. Um, just in a casual conversation, I said, well, candidly, like how much do you have in your 401k? And they said, Oh, I don't don't know. I haven't checked in three or four years. And you know, I, I think a lot of people just kind of just put their money over there and just, you know, check back three or four years later. And like, oh, I, I guess it's there. Yeah. You know? So I think another thing is just constantly always checking, you know, I check my bank account, even if I don't spend anything, I check my, my, all my bank accounts, maybe two or three times a week just so I can continue to have awareness of everything. Yeah. Um, and I think another thing too is just in not only just with financial obligations and money and spending and saving, but I think in life too is always just being a continuous learning mindset. So for me, you know, I'm always looking at some online articles on uh, finance, on like Forbes or CNBC. I'm really looking at, you know, what books out there can I learn from or, or listening to podcasts like this. I think with money, it's just like technology. It changes every single day, right? There's so many factors in it. So I think a big, I think something that's really helped me out is always having that kind of continuous learning mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about buying stocks? Yeah. Are you at the point where you're looking at
1: buying stocks or are you going to pay off your student loans first?
0: Yeah, so I still uh, I still invest in stocks. Actually, um, shout out to my uncle if you're a listener to this. I don't know if you listen to podcasts or not. But anyway, uh, senior year of high school, uh, he introduced me to the stock market um, just from a brief conversation after graduation. Um, that was actually his graduation gift. He took me down to Scott trade at the time, uh-huh. uh, and, and helped me invest in the stock market. Yeah. What was the first thing you bought? If you don't mind sharing Yeah. Uh, actually I still have some of this stock, uh, Excel energy. Okay. Uh, they're kind of like the Duke energy of the Midwest. Okay. Uh, pretty good dividend yield on that. So yeah, my first stock was, uh, XL high, energy. Dividend, yield high dividend yield stock. I think it was like 20 something a share. Now it's about 60. So yeah. good return. Yeah. <laughs> And come to think of it, your story about the 401k, I can see, uh, uh,
1: in general, I definitely agree with checking in on your money and all that. I personally do it on a quarterly basis. I write everything down, look at all the values and stuff like mm-hmm. that um, of my investment accounts, yada, yada. But I can I can also see the value of putting something in the 401k and almost forgetting that it's there because it does grow without you looking at it and you're not tempted to do anything with it.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Sidebar. Sure. That is a good thing with 401k, especially if, you know, I don't. I don't think you have to be, you know, very financially savvy to be wealthy. You know, just for me, I've I've always just loved the side of money, of learning stuff. I don't think you have to be at that level to be wealthy. I, I just think it is good to still check up on. And I, I think I that's agree. the beauty, like you mentioned, of the 401k, though, you know, for those people who just want to make sure they're making money and, and still, you know, having wealth come in. I think a 401k is a good option because you don't have to check it all the time, like like the normal stock market sometimes. So,
1: Yeah. Um, so, on our recent podcast with Dan and I, we talked about areas where spending money, more money in something that's providing you value can mm. be a net benefit. So, uh, for example, if you find that you need more rest, I'm just making this up on the top of my head right now, but spending your money on a mattress that gives you a restful sleep is an investment of in something that's going to give you more energy make more money in the future so instead of the mindset of i need to budget everything i spend on is bad Mm. which makes people fail on budgeting it's like some things are worth investing more money in and i just need to discover what those are is there anything in your life that you've sent you said i need to spend more money here because it actually is a net benefit even though it's costing me more in the short short term
0: yeah that's a really good question i would say for myself um, and I, and I definitely agree with that point you gave about, you know, if you're budgeting, you're spending, you're like, this is bad, this is bad. Um, I would say for myself though, with my job that I have now and just all the networking events I go to, I'd say it's honestly the clothes I wear. Um, okay. Because my role, as you touched on prior, uh, with capital analytics, uh, we create annual economic reports on major metro cities. Um, but we do that by interviewing 200 to 250 of the top CEOs, city officials, university presidents in the Charlotte market. Mm-hmm. So with that said, I have the opportunity to be in front of, you know, fortune 500 CEOs, mayors of different cities every single day. Um, and within that, you know, these people obviously are very high up in their company, you know, they're, they're wearing some pretty nice suits. So I think showing up on mine, especially at such a young age, I think having, you know, a nicer shirt, a nicer suit, nicer shoes really creates a, a good first impression, right? So yeah. that's something that I found a lot of value, which, Earlier when I first started the role, I was like, "Oh, I can just wear this, you know, hundred dollar suit I got at Goodwill." But then I slowly started catching on, and I'm like, "Okay, I might need to spend a little bit more." <laughs> so. Good one. Um, what are some other fun money stories that you uh,
1: you've ha- you have?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. Um, man, so at Clemson, I mean, just one of the other things I did to get money because. With Clemson, I mean, I was really involved in a lot of organizations, uh, different clubs, business associations, or fraternities. So it was really hard for me to work uh, during school, which I I ended up doing senior year. But earlier on, uh, before I started working during school, I started giving plasma, um, Wow! (laughs) which you've heard good and bad things about that. (laughs) I don't know. what. Tell me about that. Yeah, so plasma, it's basically, I mean, I'm no scientist, but it's basically the protein molecules in your bloodstream, and there's actually a ton of different organizations out there that will pay you for your plasma because it's such in high demand because they make a lot of bio... Um, Biomedical equipment out of plasma And this is different than donating blood Yeah, so it's the plasma in your blood okay. um, and They pay more for oh. So now I'm talking about those more It sounds so sketchy, but it's hilarious <laughs> Is
1: <laughs> um, it different
0: than donating no, blood? No, it's, it's basically the same thing They just uh, somehow through science distract, Extract the plasma and then does so, it leave you more drained? than It does. It does. Oh, okay. so, so what was that like? So yeah, I would, I would donate the plasma. And I mean, it would actually be some good money because it's such a high demand. I mean, you do it four or five times a month. You're making $350, $400 a month. Um, So it was a really good, I mean, in a way, a really good side gig. What are the risks? What are the but yeah, was? I think it was a funny story because so many people were making fun of me. Um, because of it at the time, they're like, oh, you're giving plasma, like, you know, no offense to anyone out there, but isn't that o- only for people who, you know, are only making $7 an hour or, you know, the really low blue collar and I'm like, and I'm just trying to get all the money I can get, you know, I'm a broke college student. I don't want to be that. Uh-huh. Uh, so obviously giving plasma was like a huge lesson on humility. Um, and a huge lesson on gratitude because to be honest, obviously just like any other college kid, I was using that money so I could get to pay for, you know, not only some textbooks, but also pay to go out to eat, pay to go to the bar every now and then pay to take a girl out or my girlfriend now, obviously out for a dinner. Um, but you know, you had people there that I I had some crazy conversations with people. I said, Hey man, why are you here? And some people would literally be given plasma to pay for their, you know, their, their cable or pay for their daughter's textbooks in, in middle school. Um, and it was just a huge lesson on humility and gratitude that yeah. I was like, wow, like I'm over here complaining that I have to give plasma or need, want to give plasma so I can go out to eat or, or go, you know, have some drinks at the bar with my friend. And this person's given plasma to pay for their daughter's, you know, middle school textbooks. So huge, just not only money lesson of like kind of having to get scrappy, but also a huge lesson on humility and gratitude.
1: Fantastic story. Yeah. So speaking of lessons, if you... Pull. if you take a – going back to your family for a yeah. second, what do you think were the first lessons you learned about money in your family? Did that, Or maybe – what were the first lessons you learned about money, whether they came from your family or not? Where do you think you got those?
0: Yeah, so I think of a big lesson of what not to do is, again, just don't – I think it's so easy to overspend in today's society. Right. I mean, you have – look at the Super Bowl commercials. They're begging you to spend money. Go on Instagram trying to – even for business, you're going on Instagram – People are begging you to spend their money, but where did you so learn I,
1: not to overspend? Yeah,
0: so I, I think just honestly growing up. I mean, either watching some family members overspend and what that did to them. Okay, you know, hearing conversations. You know, no way, shape, or form arguments, but just hearing conversations at an early age through different family members of like you know, how are we going to pay for this? Or, you know, what are we going to do here? Or even just friends in general that were older than me. You know, I had some college friends at an early age just because I grew up surfing and skateboarding. So you have friends older. Even hearing some college students like complaining about money. Uh-huh. I was like, man, there's something with this money thing. It <laughs> doesn't sound too fun, but I feel like there's a way to make it kind of work for you more. So yeah. I think at an early age was like, okay, don't overspend, be frugal. And then I think another big one too was was just really – you know, I was fortunate to adopt that mentality of you know it takes what it takes, right? I had to get my first car; it wasn't going to be given to me. I had to do what I had to do to get it. So I was able to fortunately have that mentality. And sometimes I think you have to have that uh, with money as well. You know, let's say you have let's say you have rent coming up, and you're just starting out working. You're not managing you're not managing your money properly. It's so easy to put that rent on a credit card, uh, but I think if you have that, it takes what it takes mentality, then go out, buy some things at Goodwill, flip them on eBay, give Plasma, do something so you're not having to just automatically get in debt like majority of Americans. Yeah. So. That's good advice.
1: Um, so I'm interested to know, I really like what you said about wealth. Mm. I really like what you said about being able, I can't, I don't know how you phrased it exactly, but it was being able to afford common expenses easily. Yeah. Right? Um, do you, well, now that you're wealthy, right, do you have new money goals or do having other money goals really kind of get in the way of happiness in some way?
0: Yeah. So I think, uh, with money goals, um, another big lesson I got probably in college was just watching videos, reading books, articles was break down your financial goals into zero to six month increments, uh, six to two, six months to two year increments, and then two to eight year increments. Because, you know, for example, I have a uh, goal by 30 years old to have a million dollar net worth. So not a million dollars in assets, but a a million dollar net worth, whether it's the real estate, et cetera, et cetera. So looking at that, if it was a real estate asset, that would still be an asset. Yeah. But not 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 liquid assets. Yeah. Not liquid. sorry, not liquid dollar, um, not liquid million dollars, but just million-dollar net worth from yeah. assets. Um, that's great. So, you know, looking at that now at 24 years old, I mean, that's a very steep goal, right? When did you make that goal? Uh, I made that goal. Actually, I went on a hike about six months ago and made that goal. Okay, all right. <laughs> so I was hiking in Gastonia, North Carolina, and I was like, you know, I'm going to get serious about it and make some more financial goals. So uh-huh. um, anyway, you look at that goal at 24, I mean, that's six years from now. It's like, okay, like, that's that's a pretty pretty steep uh, mountain to climb mm-hmm. only being two years out of school. But I think if you break it down into increments, like I said, monthly, I think it compounds on each other. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, um, you know, I had a goal, uh, to have over $10,000 in the stock market, mm-hmm. uh, in six months. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the first month that felt pretty, pretty hefty. But obviously once you start building on each other, once you get them on three, month four, it's like, okay, I think this is actually possible. And I think that, small example compounds on itself. You know, maybe when I'm 28, 29, I'm like, wow, I actually think I'm fairly close to this goal. I think I can get there and it provides much more momentum. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. Yeah, it does. And I, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was actually going to ask you the happiness question or uh, respond to the happiness question. So I think money obviously is such a controversial topic of like, you know, does money provide happiness? Can you get happiness from money? you only care about money. But I think, it's knowing when to like turn it off. For example, mm. you know, during the week I'm very invested in doing podcasts, I'm very invested in work, I'm very invested in looking over my stocks. But you know, you best believe that when my girlfriend and I are going to lunch or dinner on Saturday, I got my phone turned on airplane mode, not responding to any emails. I'm actually maintaining really good time with her, focusing on the present rather yeah. than you know, sitting here at dinner, picking up my phone, checking an email. I'm actually engaged in that moment if that makes sense. Yeah. I can see how so, that really helps. With you got to know space. when to turn it on. During the week I think is when you, you know, you go 120, 130%, but then I think during the weekend, um, you know, contingent on working on side hustles etc. I think during the weekend when you're spending time with loved ones, loved ones and family is really when you go all in and instead of depositing financials into your bank account, you deposit emotional time into that relationship. Yeah, for sure.
1: So you're saying if I'm hearing you right, your million dollar goal by 30 Main, is something that you strive for during your work hours, yeah, and you're able to sort of keep your emotional, social hours, not, in, not have it interfere with those, mm-hmm. um, while you're on that that journey. Yeah,
0: and I think I have, you know, this goal list that I printed out for this episode. I have it. Um, another key thing too is I have it uh, bulleted to my wall. Um, you know, I work from home, so I have it right above my desk. So it's obviously having a constant reminder and having that right in front of you. too. Can you so, read some more off of them? Yeah, definitely. So, uh, you know, six months to two years, I'd like to have my own house, uh, not paid off or anything. Just, I would like to have my own house, you know, to the 400 to $500,000 range. Um, cause right now I'm still living in an apartment. Um, and then I would say in two to eight years, I'd like to have, uh, three rental properties, So actually, you know, that's where the million dollar net was comes into play, three properties that mm -hmm. are actually providing me, whether it's Airbnb or actual, you know, 12 or six to 12 month tenants. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another one too, uh, I'd say is being able to put, Dave Ramsey talks about this all the time, but I want to get my emergency fund back up to 6,000.
1: Speaking of Dave Ramsey, um, you're at a uh, good time in life to invest in a 401k or an IRA. You Mm. You know this already, but. Um, uh, I'll get the exact numbers wrong, but the gist of it is pretty right. Um, where if you can save money, like from year year, uh, let's say 21 to 28. and I, And when I say save money, I can't remember if the number is 5,000 a year or 10,000 a year, maybe even 2,000 a year. And then you stop. And then that's person A. So person A does that. And then the other person starts and picks up at age twenty eight and goes all the way to sixty five, saving that same amount of money every year, the person who saved from twenty to twenty eight or whatever the rough numbers are will have way more money than the other person who saved for way longer. And it's the power of compounding interest. And the money that is we're talking about here is in the millions. Yeah. Like just by saving whatever that number is, five tenth uh, of two thousand, five thousand or ten thousand a month a year in those early years, you will have over a million dollars,
0: well over a million dollars when you retire. And that's it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, and that's, and I think breaking it down like that makes it so much easier to grasp because a million dollars sounds like a hefty amount of money at, at a young age like this, right? So um, to your point there, I actually read that as well. I think it was, if you start at 22, 23, which is the average age right out of school, mm-hmm. and then invest, uh, I, b- I believe it's, five five or six grand a year um at a normal s&p 500 average return at nine or ten percent mm-hmm. then i think it was like at 55 or 60 you'd have i believe it was 1.5 million dollars mm-hmm. yeah
1: so yeah so it won't be by 30 but that's a real lesson yeah because if you can do it like you will have your long-term self will be exactly will be will be set and it does and that's even if you turn it off at it which you're not going to yeah. you're probably going to go all the way through
0: yeah ex- and i think i think too with that goal right it's I think your experience with your career uh, compounds on each other. So, you know, I've met some people that are 26, 27 uh, through some, you know, pretty decent jobs at some of the Fortune 500s around here, making $250,000, dollars 400000 oh. mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if you can get your skill set up to that level or you know, put yourself in the right opportunities to make, you know— even even hundred grand, and actually are frugal with their spending up until their thir- like pretty frugal with their spending up until their thirties. I think that's a very achievable goal.
1: Yeah. So um, why don't we take a second and you talk about um, your podcast? I'd like to hear more about that. What are some of the best lessons you've heard from your guests? And if you could describe the podcast for our audience?
0: Yeah, definitely. That's a good question. So. The podcast that I run is Next Level Minds. It's a business entrepreneurial podcast where I really walk through people's stories of how they have gotten from point A to point B, overcame adversities along the way. So I know everyone likes to really broadcast their destination, but at the end of the day, you know, what did it really take to get there? Right. So these are the stories that I like to unpack with. You know, founders, entrepreneurs, creators, executives, you know, whoever I'm sitting down with that just has a story of really getting from that point A to point B. And I think some really big lessons that I've learned along the way, and this is actually my first episode, um, a good friend, Mike, he said, you got to put the horse blinders on. And I said, what do you mean by that? He's like, think about it, man. You're scrolling on Instagram, you're scrolling on Facebook, Twitter, whatever. You're looking at kids that are out in California making, you know, a million dollars at 25. How do you think that's going to make you feel about your goal? And I was like, pretty dang bad. So he said, you know, when you're first starting out, even, even when you're pretty far in life, you know, put the horse blinders on, focus on you, right? Focus on what you're doing that day, hour, minute, etc., and how are you getting to that next level, if you will. So I think that was a really big lesson and then I think another big lesson was with uh, Haley Mae Campbell. So she is a country music artist out of Nashville. Um, she grew up in Charleston, but she's actually blown up recently. I mean, she's got millions and millions of streams on Spotify. She's touring with all the big names. And one of her lessons was, you know, you have to believe and you have to just love your goal or love what you want in life so much that you really back yourself into a corner and basically force yourself to get it done. So for her example, she was like... Yeah, how do you force yourself? Yeah, so she was like, I always wanted to be a music artist. I always wanted to tour. I always wanted to do this. So she said she had never had a legit full-time job rather than, you know, breached at Starbucks, cashier, hairs cheater, stuff like that, and basically forced herself to have to go that route. So I think that's a little extreme, uh, but I think that's true with – By not getting a more steady salary. By not getting any more because then you get comfortable, right? Yeah. I think – and that's a lot of the things out there with entrepreneurs is, like, you hear people – and I think, you know, I think you still have to be safe with it, but you hear people – you know, sell in their car or sell in their house or to build their business. I don't think you have to go that far all the time, but I think you do have to make some really big sacrifices along the way to really get to that next level, whether it's with your finances, your career, your business. So, Can, can you tell me about the Gratitude Journal that you mentioned? Oh, uh, yeah. So I actually started that process actually right when I moved to Charlotte just because, you know, I'm blessed to live downtown, which is amazing. But at the same time, it gets very hectic of, walking, people running into you, you know, it's it's not New York City, but it sometimes feels like a miniature in New York City. So I was like, man, I'm getting kind of overwhelmed here. I got to really find a way to just stay more grounded. So my gratitude journal is a journal that I write in every day. So I write in uh, one thing I'm thankful for, um, which it could be something small. I mean, today I was like, I wrote down, I'm, I'm very thankful that I was able to go to the gym before work and eat a bowl of oatmeal super simple but uh-huh. a lot of people can't go to the gym because they're injured a lot of people don't have money to eat breakfast so you breaking it down so much and then after the gratitude journal i write down just a power list where i actually got this from uh, another podcast called mf ceo project by andy fursella um he basically says make a power list five critical tasks that you're going to accomplish that day that are going to exponentially move the needle in your life forward in your business, career, relationships, whatever you want to focus on at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you write down a power list. And honestly, I don't have my journal in front of me, so I'm not going to remember my power list from the day. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But one of them was be on this podcast, so there's at least one. That's cool. Uh, but yeah, write down the power list, and then at the end of the night, you know, end of the day, whether it's, and and I'm big on personal development. It takes time. It obviously is an investment in yourself. So with that said, no matter what time it is, whether I'm done working at 11 p.m., 12 a.m., 1 a.m., or 6 p.m., I'm taking the time at the very end of the day, right before I go to sleep, to pull out the journal and write down, you know, one to three more things that I'm thankful for that happened that day. Okay. And then I always write down, tomorrow will be a great day as, like, my last line. Nice. So I mean, think about it. Just going to bed as the last thing you wrote down, the last thing you said to yourself saying tomorrow is going to be a great day, you wake up just exponentially in such a better mood. Wow. Did you come up with that yourself? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of different podcasts of people doing journals, affirmations, and I kind of just made a custom-tailored uh, solution for myself. So I love it. Yeah, That's fantastic. So anything else I should have asked or any other story you'd like to tell about uh,
1: yourself or money?
0: Yeah, so – I think I'm big on, as I touched on on a lesson I learned from Mike on my podcast, Next Level Minds, um, and I struggle with this too. Sometimes is really try your best not to compare yourself to others, mm. because for example, you know I was stressing that you know I, I mean I don't think I should be because it's not the most humble comment, but you know I'm like oh I wish I had six figures in the stock market right now. Obviously I'm pretty far from that, um, but you know the other day I was in a conversation at a networking event talking finance with this guy we just started opening up and he's like man i'm super excited i I just got my first two thousand in my savings account yeah and he was 26 years old and hearing the excitement on his face i think it's like okay like there's either there's obviously hundreds of people 10 times better position than i am but there's probably a lot more that are worse off than i am at this situation so i think looking at it is, you know i'm blessed to be where i'm at but i'm always trying to take it to that next level very cool. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks for this, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, in, inviting me here to the podcasting room. We're here in downtown Charlotte, and yeah. um, I look forward to keeping in touch and and listening to Next Level Minds. And we should touch base again. I'll be really interested to talk to you when you turn thirty. <laughs> I'm going to say, "How's it going uh, on that million
0: dollar goal? I didn't make it. No, didn't like it. <laughs> you may be way above it. You know? Uh, Who knows? <laughs> that's that's the crazy thing about life. You never know uh, what's going to happen. You know? I never would I thought." Two years ago in college that I would be in a job that I speak with two hundred of the top CEOs in the southeast. So yeah. I think just another kind of final learning lesson is you never know where you're gonna be one, two, three, four, five years from now. Just honestly keep pushing towards the goal you have and obviously stay grounded in gratitude. So
1: Yeah, for sure. I really love the way you defined wealth. And I think that's so important. It just feels good to to define it in that way, and you say, you know what, everything is fine now. I'll get to wherever I'm getting gonna go next. Yeah, I'm good with where I'm at now, and I'm going to enjoy the journey to try to get to the next spot if I want to. Exactly, I, I feel like that's healthy.
0: Yeah, enjoy the spot you're at. Enjoy, you know, the journey along the way, and, and then again, just touching on my definition of wealth again, because I know you you like that piece. Uh, was just wealth as being able to afford common expenditures that come up and obviously also wealth is having knowledge of your personal finances mm-hmm. yeah that's the that other piece so yeah cool very cool yeah all well, right thanks man I, i've really enjoyed being on the show um everyone out there listen to next level minds if you have a chance episodes every other monday it's uh on apple spotify and uh is it the google play store as well yeah. so, all right cool thanks man all right